Hello. Welcome to Public Affairs and WRBH. I'm Lynn Koppel, and today we're joined by two individuals talking about something, frankly, I knew nothing whatsoever about. So they're going to inform me and inform you, my listeners, about a project that they run. Am I right in saying this? Introduce yourself and tell us all about Ella. Hi, I'm Ashley Keaton, and I'm a co-founder of the Ella Project. The Ella Project is a nonprofit charitable organization that Jean and I co-founded in 2004. We provide pro, pro bono legal services, arts business uh, services, and an advocacy platform for culture bearers and musicians and visual artists and grassroots nonprofits in the New Orleans area and throughout Louisiana. Now, pro bono, I know you're lawyers, and most of the people out here probably know what pro bono means, but we mean free, don't we? Pro bono means free in this case. Absolutely, 100% free. Okay. Mr. Maneri, tell us what you do with the program. Sure, Lynn. Um, I help out and run the business development side of Ella. So as we said, there's three legs to the stool. Um, Ashley is the lawyer. I'm not an attorney. Okay. Um, and she really handles the legal side of things, runs our de facto teaching clinic. What I do is work with artists and musicians on helping grow their businesses. We do that through individual consultations. Mm-hmm. It could be on marketing. It could be on finance. It could be on organizational planning for nonprofits. And we do a lot of teaching workshops throughout New Orleans and throughout the state as well. You know, that sounds like such a wonderful service because so many of the people in New Orleans will have something to do with entertainment or singers or musicians of some sort. I mean, even people who this isn't their primary way of raising money, but they certainly have sidelines. And if they maybe want to do more, they get in touch with you all. Would that be right? That's exactly right. You know, we are fortunate to live in such a culturally rich environment but also so much of the New Orleans cultural economy is not, it's not like a New York or Los Mm -hmm. Angeles or Nashville where there's a massive industry in town. You have a lot of people that are doing this on their own or, you know, they might have a very small support team and, you know, none of this stuff is taught in university. If you go in and you get your MFA or BFA or get a degree in music, they don't really teach you how to run a business. People always have this idea, which I understand where some of it comes from, but they talk about, oh, you know, the flighty artists and they can't manage their life and all that. But when you look at it, what you're talking about is you're talking about a small business. You're talking about someone who is creating product, who is handling the marketing, who is handling the finance, who is traveling to shows far and wide. That's a lot of work for anybody to do. And I think that we ought to we ought to take a step back when we just look and go, oh, you know, they can't get their act together. There's a lot of things that we're placing on these what are really small entrepreneurs. And that's where our program comes in to provide some support. Well, that is so wonderful. You know, and tell us about the different kind. You've talked about legal support. And tell us kind of what you mean. I think I understand, but that's because I've been talking to you. But, like, let's say someone who, oh, maybe has a, uh, is an artist who is trying to work and doesn't know where to go. Would this, someone who's, a uh, you know, a painter, a, a sculptor, or some sort of, uh, you know, does some anything, would they come to you just to say, well, I have this, these ideas, I want to start, a, I want to do my art right. in a bigger way and maybe make some money off of it? 
Absolutely. We have uh, visual artists, we have performing artists, musicians, like I said, uh, grassroots nonprofits that come to us in, their, in the emerging phases of their career. And so mm-hmm. we see a lot of emerging artists who have not had a lot of direction insofar as the um, exploitation of the work. You know, when mm-hmm. we think of art, I think we think of, you know, uh, the artist and uh, their concept. But, I mean, they're, while they're separable, uh, that's, you know, I think probably to the artist subjectively, that that concept is very much a part of them, and that's why it's very personal. At some point, the artist, if he or she chooses, is going to want to release that work and to exploit it, whether it's commercially or otherwise. And it should be up to that artist to be self-empowered, to mm-hmm. have the tools to do with their work, to do with their content what they want. And where we come in is um, basically by... Uh, Basically, we we give the artists the tools that they need to be able to, to to be able to do with the work what they want. And sometimes, you know, in the case of a visual artist, that may be uh, consigning their work to a gallery, mm-hmm. and we negotiate the contracts for that and work out the agent fees and the commission fees and all of the other details. And we like to ensure that the artist, whether emerging or someone who is well established has good leverage and negotiation power um, in the uh, contractual uh, and negotiation process. And the same goes for musicians. You know, we see a lot of musicians, or actually, you know, in the past we've seen a lot of musicians who have um, who have been privy to deals and contractual negotiations which were unfair, which frankly is, is industry standard for all yes. artist contracts to be unfair, but they don't have to be grossly one-sided, and they don't have to be, um, you know, what we would call in the law, shocking to the senses. And mm-hmm. that's where, you know, our program comes in. What we'd like to do is not only help artists to be able to maneuver themselves out of those bad deals to the extent that they can, which is very hard to do, but more importantly, and as Gene and I were discussing earlier, is to be more proactive and mm-hmm. to enter into their uh, careers, whether, you know, as emerging artists with the uh, information and education and the resources and for the resources to be ongoing that they need to prepare themselves and continue to to uh, continue to be in a position that that is more conducive to um, fair and equitable results as opposed to these draconian measures that you hear about all too often. Well, I understand in any business situation, and of course, unfortunately, many artistic situations are indeed business situations, everyone has to negotiate for the best deal. In other words, the owner of the gallery <laughs> wants a good wants to make money, and the artist wants to make money. And I think it is it's, your role is very important. You're kind of like the person, I guess, the in-between person who's going to see that everybody behaves in a fair and equitable manner. Well, you're right about that. And I will tell you that whether we like it or not, mm-hmm. um, I've accepted that it is very good to have a lawyer on your side because, I mean, beyond the fact that, you know, we're supposed to be tasked with the obligation of ensuring that our clients understand what they're doing yeah. and that we're representing the best interest of our clients. Frankly, the industry takes them more seriously when they have a professional advocate <laughs> on their side. And, and you know, we're just another deterring mechanism. Well, you know, 
And we, we talked about this, Mr. Maneri, cause you're, and you're going to say something, I'm sure, about this. You know, you talked about people, oh, there's no, you don't have a major, or you don't study this when you go to college. So many of our artists who are very, uh, good Lord, pro- prolific, and we love them, maybe didn't go to college, or if they went to college, took something completely different, or, you know, in other words, don't have the opportunity let's say, to meet lawyers sometime. In other words, you can be in the in the kind of a business where you never needed a lawyer, and maybe you're afraid of lawyers, if I dare say so, or afraid of putting it all together in a business thing. Also, maybe afraid a little bit of the way businesses work. Do you find that? A- I, I think we do. I think that it, especially when we started the program, that was more prevalent. I think over the years, we've actually developed a pretty solid reputation in the mm-hmm. community. There's a lot of people that know us. There's a lot of good word of mouth on the street. that people say that these are people that you can trust. And I think that that's the nice thing is, you know, because we are a nonprofit organization, sure. because we're funded primarily by grants, by individual donors, by some contract work, we're not funded by the clients. You know, it's not going into a situation where people think, oh, well, this person is trying to just make money off me because we're not making any money off of them. Okay. Um, it's, it's simply as simple as that. But I think you're absolutely right when you talk about that, too. You know, you have, especially in New Orleans and Louisiana, you, you do have a lot of people that a lot of times go straight out of high school and into creating art, whether that be in a band, sure. whether that be as a visual artist. Um, and they're not exposed to a lot of this information. And, you know, frankly, it, it can be a little intimidating at first. And so that that's why we're here. And that's why, you know, we also offer a forum. So it's it, if you want to come out to a forum, get information for an hour, sit in the audience, it's not necessarily as intimidating as going in and saying, I have a problem that I need to solve. And one of the analogies that we always like to use is that, you know, if you if you have a pain in the tooth, you're going to find <laughs> a dentist, no matter if you can pay for it or not. If you have the first contract that's been presented to you and you don't have the money to do it, well, that's not exactly the the throbbing tooth pain that all of a sudden you're going to think you have to do something about. So, so our goal is to get those people in so that things can be done on the front end. Um, we are not an organization that concerns ourselves with aesthetics. We're not going to say, oh, you know, we don't think this yeah. work is very good. We're not going to represent you. If you come in with an artist's product that you want to make sure the copyrights are registered on, make sure the contract is taken care of, if you come in with an artist's product and say, hey, you know, I'd like to know what galleries I'm going to go to, there we can look at it and say like, okay, well, you know, potentially – you might want to start at the art markets or something like that. But we're not in the business of telling people they can't be an artist. We're not art critics. We're not art critics, uh, exactly. I mean, we know, you are. we know the industry, and we've been in the industry now for each of us probably about 20 years mm-hmm. each. And so, you know, I think that while we certainly bring a lot of knowledge to the table, our goal is not to tell somebody, you know, this, <laughs> this isn't is going, going anywhere. Sell. Um, yeah. because, because how would, you know, it. even yeah. with experience, how would we know? I mean, there's there's so many examples <laughs> when you look through pop culture where you look at it and go, we never yeah. guessed this would be a number one hit. Um, so we've just divorced ourselves from that idea entirely. Well, but, and, and this is a needed service. Art, there are plenty of art critics everywhere, and people are certainly amateurs who are free to share their criticism with people. But you do need someone who can give you the the information about, say, legal things. In other words, you're talking about a, a contract or how should I do this to get a good result? And how do you know unless you ask somebody who understands how the system works? And frankly, the system a little difficult to negotiate. Absolutely. And one of the things that, you know, we do like to do with every client is to sit 
just to really sit down with them, get to know where they are, mm-hmm. what they want to do, if they know what they want to do sure. with their lives. And rather than, you know, lead them in any given direction is to provide them with as much information so that they can make reasonable decisions, you know, based on good information. And, you know, we go through um, matters anywhere from, you know, how to start up a business Mm -hmm. legitimately, you know, what kind of taxes are involved, um, although we are not tax experts and we are not accountants, but, you know, just the basic information. We, you know, get into simple uh, intellectual property protection, such as, you know, registrations. Mm -hmm. We uh, get into other formalities and, you know, we really let artists know how they can help shape their emerging careers and the business infrastructure around them in a way that's not daunting. Because Mm -hmm. I've found that if we throw everything at them, then, I mean, it's what I would do. I would just run. You know, I know that when I have a a day where I am consumed with so much that, you know, if you throw something else at me, I'm just not going to do anything. I'm just going to break down. And so we try not to intimidate our artists by providing them with with excess information, we try to provide them with as much as we can, and then we shepherd them through the process and meet with them continuously so that they get, you know, the full picture on and and all of the um, information they need. And it becomes nuanced at some point, but it's it, but it, it's ultimately their decision, and and they're provided with all of those resources and continue to be. And have an informed decision-making. In other Absolutely. words, they know what they're doing. Now, tell me how it is structured. Can can you all do that with, can you do that in 25 minutes or less? Yeah, go ahead. We can. So one of the things that we're really proud of is that since the beginning, we've had a partnership with Tulane Law School. Mm-hmm. And so we run a de facto teaching clinic um, every Friday where we have uh, – legal interns who are second and third year students at Tulane who come in. And we've been fortunate and I think is a nice uh, feather in our cap that it's a very popular program at Tulane. And so we we can get the interns that we really are really committed to the program. They're not just running through necessarily just to get their community service hours, although those are a requirement of the school Mm -hmm. for graduation. Um, So individual clients will be able to come in. Now we are we are an income-based pro bono program. You okay. do. We're not out here to serve the the very wealthy, um, especially of legal services. Mm-hmm. So you do have to qualify. The application is very straightforward. And very so, easy. in other words, we're serving people who perhaps could not contact a lawyer and pay a fee. I know when you engage a lawyer, presumably you have to pay something, even if you're a poor, starving artist. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, our goal is never to try and hinder the legal community out there. No, of we have not. a lot of legal volunteers who help out with other cases as well. So these are people that would not otherwise have access to counsel and access to justice, and that's really the key to the program. Uh, but so we bring in clients, we run them through all day on Fridays every week. Um, and they'll handle all sorts of different issues. It could be intellectual property. It could be contracts. It could be licenses. It could be incorporation. It could be nonprofit incorporation. And the kids are very helpful. They're supervised by Ashley, who's also a professor at Tulane Law mm-hmm. School. And so they're getting really high-quality supervision. They're getting r- high-quality information. And the clients are getting top services, even though they're not paying for it. And I think that's one of the keys to the legal program. So it's kind of a fail-safe program. If you feel like, let's say, you have something an art that you wish to share with the world, you can come and get information to tell you how to begin your journey or 
at least get your journey organized, packed up so that you can travel sensibly um, without incurring a lot of debt or, or you know, things like that. Um, so it really is a good place to start, I imagine, and if you're curious about it. Right. No, it, it is a very good place to start. And, you know, what Jean and I found um, that has resulted in the, you know, the culmination of the time that we've spent with these artists and, you know, going back to 2004 is that, is that you know, what's, we've established a base of folks who are ready not only to, to tackle their own careers, but to work together in the policymaking realm. And so mm. just two days ago, Gene and I co-produced an event with the Recording Academy and Offbeat uh, Media. It was a mayoral forum for um, the discussion on music and cultural policy. And uh, we had it at the Carver Theater, and, and we had, you know, close to 300 people in attendance yes. that are part of that music and, and cultural sector. And, and, and really the ability to put something like that together and to bring those people in the room and to continue the policymaking discussion has been in large part due to the success of our program and due to the number of folks who have come through it. And we've just ad hoc established a, a base of people who are ready and willing to, to come together to organize even more effectively. And so that's been an, an offshoot is what started as a direct transactional clinic. And now we, again, we've become, we, we've become part of the community building process. You know, that's so excellent. And music and culture is such a big part of the attractiveness of New Orleans, not to people, not just to tourists, but to people who live here. None of us want to see uh, the music life suddenly become very strict and segregated from different things. You know, we, we live it. We like street parades and we like music in the streets and we like art in the streets, perhaps not on the side of our building sometime. But in other words, this is all part of our, our culture, and we want to see it preserved, and we want to preserve, see it preserved at all levels, not just people making fortunes out of doing something. Right. We want to see it preserved, but we really want to see it continued, and mm -hmm. we want to see it continued in a way that's oh, yeah. you know, self-empowered. Of course. Absolutely. And and you say we, and I, I know that you know everyone in this room, the three of us, really want to see uh, these cultural practices continued, but you know there are some folks who think a little bit differently, and everyone you know has the right to their own opinion. But of course, but yeah. it's a but it's it's good that you know the these culture bearers have access to a platform so that they can voice you know what is important to them, and and that is something that Gene and I have been able to offer. That's so important, and I'm I'm glad you all are doing it. Now, how do people get in touch with you? Can we talk about that for a minute? So, if there are people out there listening who have something wonderful they wish to share. How do they get in touch with you all? Absolutely. Um, you can go to our website, which is Ella Nola, E-L-L-A-N-O-L-A dot O-R-G, mm -hmm. or you can call us 504-250-0429. Um, and we'd love to talk to you. We'd love to, for people who want to come through the legal clinics, the application is online. It's eight questions. It takes you about three minutes to fill out. We get an email as soon as that happens, mm -hmm. and then we get in touch with you and say, okay, here's what we can do for you. You know, we can bring you into the clinics. We can have you access one of our networks of volunteer attorneys that we have. Oh, you know what? This is actually more of a business problem <laughs> than a legal problem. We'll let you set up a consultation. Um, or, you know, 
this actually doesn't fit in with what we're doing. You know, we, we have a broad base of legal services, but we, we don't offer services for everything. Sure. You know, I mean, we're not we're not a criminal defense firm. Um, <laughs> Elias, there's, really? as Ashley said earlier, we're not accountants. If, if you have tax issues, we're not the place to go. But we do try and offer as much as possible, either through the clinic setting or through our network of volunteers for pretty much anything civil law based for people that qualify. And our income guidelines are, are pretty generous. Um, this is not something that is strictly for people people who are in poverty. This is for people that can't afford to engage sure, regular counsel. Sure. People who probably have to work and practice their art, work somewhere and practice their art somewhere else. And uh, and that's important because that's where so much of our, our music and so much of our art comes from. Not just people who are, you know, come out of college and get a studio and start painting or start making music, you know, without any, any, well, should we say, need to provide money. Uh, so these are people who are might become very famous. As a matter of fact, there's so many cases, and I'm sure you all know all of them, of people who have created, say, wonderful records, wonderful music, and now they're working in parking garages or, you know, being taxi cab drivers because they have no access to a maybe a, a record that sold a million copies years ago. And do you all help those kinds of people as well? Okay. Um, we do. Now, it is trickier. You know, at some point, know, that's why that's our goal is always to get as much stuff the on the beginning. front end as possible. You know, it's the classic yeah. ounce of prevention versus a pound of cure situation. Uh, there are things that can be done, and we have had cases like that over the years. We've also, unfortunately, have cases where it's like, you know what, this was, this was done in a rock solid yeah. way 30 years ago, and at this point, like, the die is cast. Um, but it is something that can be done, and you do see that. One of the other things that we're interested in right now is as especially the music business is changing, we see this as an opportunity for New Orleans. We see New Orleans as an opportunity as the revenue model has changed, as streaming has really come in. And one of our great mentors always says, you know, the problem isn't the revenue in the music business. It's the alignment of that revenue. There's money that's being made. The key for us now in sort of the second or third act of a commercial music business is to find out how the musicians of the city, the businesses of the city, the government officials of the city can be as aligned as possible so that we can bring more of that money back into Louisiana. But because it's out there and as streaming continues, it's going to grow. How fascinating. You know, you just brought something to me, too, that I was thinking about. You're right. Nobody buys records anymore. What am I talking about? How do you advise, to advise people on something like that? Brilliant. What do you do? Well, you know what? People buy records at concerts and they buy oh, them like true. they buy T-shirts. They're they're collectibles now. Yeah. If you go to a big festival and you go to the vendors, I mean, you, it's just terrible and hysterical to me to watch. You know, you'll see a line of of folks wrapped around. Uh, the T-shirt, you know, yes, cashier, yes. but you know the the record section will be completely empty, and there's several reasons for that. Um, part of it is just practice and custom. I mean, I pull my students every semester. They still go to the movies. You know, they sure. still pay for prints. There's posters on their dorm walls, but they're not buying records because they never did. You know, mm. and I mean that's really not on them. That's just the way the industry has moved. And, you know, part of that is the industry's is, you know, the industry has to take accountability for. But think, you know, that like Jean said, is that the revenue models 
are you know being reallocated and and they're well they're reshaping and you know it is our job to figure out how we can as he said best align those resources um, toward the people who are the creators and until then you know people are going to make their money off of touring and off of live performance yeah. and which is expensive yeah so, yeah, what you see right now is, for instance, I think a lot of people are paying $10 a month, $20 a month for a streaming service. They're also paying $30, $40 a yes. month for, you know, Internet service for their television. You know, it's Netflix, it's Apple TV, Absolutely. it's Amazon Prime, it's all the music streaming. So if you look at it, I mean, you'd say, well, no one's buying records like they used to. That may be true, but... If I'm paying $20 a month for streaming services, that's the same as buying one CD every month, every single month. Whether or not I actually did it or not, it gets built. Now, once you get up to your critical mass of 150, 200 million people doing <laughs> that, I mean, you're talking yeah. some substantial sums there. You're looking at all the money that Netflix is making because everyone has Netflix. We're thinking three or four years down the line, the same thing is going to be true of paid streaming services. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's a lot of money that goes back in the pot. The next question is, how does it get down? Especially, how does it get down to what our artists, which are much more traditional, roots-based? You know, we don't have Taylor Swift. We don't have Katy no, Perry. No, we have artists that are still very popular and beloved, but they're not selling 20 million albums. Um, the key for us is to figure out how that they're still made, taken care of and that we can bring that money back to New Orleans. And I think we can do that with some proper planning. Well, good to hear that, yes. Yes, and I think the other thing that, you know, we want to do... Um, that our clients want to do is they just want to be able to stay here and they want to be able to perform and they want sure. to be able to practice their art. Not everyone is looking at, you know, being a, a gajillionaire. I mean, I would, you know, I think everyone would love to wake up in the morning with a treasure chest right next to them. But I think that if we can help position artists so that they are able to continue to live in the city that we all love and hold so dear and able to practice their art in doing so, that's where we need to, to focus. Well, you know, and I think this is so wonderful because, as you say, we we love our art in New Orleans and we want to see it go forward. We want to see these new artists. Where are they? Right. We need to love our artists as, as much as we love our art, yeah. right? It upsets me that artists, you know, you might be doing your thing and loving it, but you have to eat, too. That's always the sad thing. Look what time it is that we could go on for hours. Give us the information you gave us before. How do we get in touch with you? If there's someone out there who has, for instance, I have a grandchild that has a band, but I don't think he'll be getting in touch with you until he finishes high school. He better not. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> let's tell how to, how to get in touch with you. Absolutely. You can call us anytime at 504-250-0429 or visit our website at Ella Nola, E-L-L-A, N-O-L-A dot O-R-G. Thank you all so much for coming. This has been Ashley Keaton and Jean Minery, 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 uh, who have come from Ella to talk to us about a wonderful service. And thank you all for listening. This has been Public Affairs on WRBH.